You're listening to KCBS In-Depth. Everyone is facing these huge life-changing moments. The people, places, and issues the Bay Area is talking about. I think it really is important for folks to reach out to people so they can know that they're not alone. We don't know how long all this is going to go on for. And from an emotional standpoint, psychologically, that's a really difficult, difficult thing to grapple with. This is KCBS In-Depth. Historic, groundbreaking, polarizing. As the first woman to hold the office of House Speaker in U.S. history, Nancy Pelosi has been all these things. But today's guest is going to make the case that there's another word we should use to describe Pelosi's tenure in politics as well. Consequential. Welcome to KCBS In-Depth. I'm Keith Manconi, and today on the program, we're going to be speaking with USA Today Washington Bureau Chief Susan Page, who's written a new biography of the San Francisco lawmaker entitled Madam Speaker, Nancy Pelosi and the Lessons of Power. Drawing on 10 sit-down interviews with Speaker Pelosi, the book offers a comprehensive look at her rise in politics, as well as the pivotal moments in American history that she helped shape. Susan Page, welcome to KCBS In-Depth. Hey, Keith, it's great to be with you. So as we mentioned, uh, this book is a major undertaking in terms of the reporting that went into it. In addition to those sit-down interviews with Speaker Pelosi, you also interviewed 150 others uh, who know her and uh, even went digging in some archival papers. So uh, quite a lot of legwork there. What drew you to Pelosi as someone whose career you wanted to write about? You know, I thought that she was consequential, the word that you used, that she had an impact on the country. I also thought she was not really well understood, you know, well well known, but not well understood. One more thing, you know, we think of her as important because of her groundbreaking status as the first woman speaker. That put her in the history books, but in my view, she would be in the history books anyway if she were male because of some of the things that she has achieved, the things that she has done in the office of speaker. Yeah, and uh, in a lot of ways, I suppose her... A low-key public persona in some regards uh, speaks to some of the reasons why uh, some of those major accomplishments have not gotten uh, quite as much attention as uh, perhaps they historically otherwise would have gotten. Uh, One of the dramatic moments that you highlighted is her role in getting uh, Obamacare across the finish line, or as you called it in the the chapter that you wrote about that episode, Pelosi Care. (laughs) Well, you know, the Affordable Care Act wouldn't have passed without Barack Obama. There's no question about that. But it also wouldn't have passed without Nancy Pelosi. And there was a time when even figures in the Obama White House, including the chief of staff, Rahm Emanuel, who thought it was impossible to get the big version of the Affordable Care Act through Congress. It was Nancy Pelosi who told Obama in an extraordinary Oval Office meeting that he could either go big and try to get this massive bill through or he could go home, that she would not help him pass some smaller bill that's, for instance, just covered children. That was something the chief of staff was urging. And she did it in a demonstration of the kind of masterly congressional leaders, legislative leadership that we haven't seen since the days of LBJ. And I think a lot of people would be unaware of uh, what a large role that she played in uh, making that happen. Uh, I I suppose it speaks to another theme within the book is that she really is a master of the inside game and uh, gives a little bit less attention to the outside game. Yeah, Scott Schaefer, who is familiar to many in, in San Francisco, told me that she was 
good at all the things that you don't see and bad at all the things you do see, bad at the things you see, like giving a big speech. He's not really a great orator or, you know, spontaneous impromptu back and forth with reporters. That's not her strength. We saw her kind of misstep with a tone deaf comment uh, when the Derek Chauvin verdict came down a couple of weeks ago. But on the, the stuff that you don't see, like cutting a deal in a room or motivating members of Congress to go from here to there, to go from opposing what you want to do to doing what it is you want to do on that, there is no one in Congress today who can match her. Let's talk a little bit about what it took to get this book written. Uh, again, you conducted 10 interviews with Speaker Pelosi. She is known for not being the easiest interview uh, on the planet, uh, a very private person and uh, often some, somewhat guarded. Well, she is a tough interview because she's so disciplined. She's She says what she wants to say. She repeats her talking points. She's pretty guarded. She's very private. But I did find that in doing these interviews over a period of about two years, that she became more relaxed and more forthcoming. Uh, And I got to see uh, some sides of her that I think she often doesn't show. You know, she, we think of her as being a pretty, pretty formal person. Uh, And yet I found that when she was 76 years old, she took two of her grandsons to a Metallica concert. (laughs) So if you can see Nancy Pelosi with heavy metal, that's uh, that's maybe something surprising. And probably speaks first and foremost to the really strong family connections and the really important role that family has played in her life uh, throughout her life and her career. Yes, absolutely. She has. She had five children in six years in a week. That's a pretty fast pace. And she told me that her experiences as the mother of this big family was the perfect preparation for being Speaker of the House, because she said, you're doing the same things. You're trying to govern amid chaos. You're trying to deal with grievances real and imagined by your by, by the people that you are in charge of. You're trying to figure out what somebody is really talking about, what's really motivating them. You're trying to figure out how to get them to do not what they want to do, but what you want them to do. And ideally making it them think it was their idea in the first place. And finally, you have shifting alliances in a big family like that, where you certainly have shifting alliances when you're dealing with Congress. All right. I want to reintroduce you real quick. Uh, for anybody who's just tuning in, you are listening to KCBS In-Depth, your weekly deep dive into the events and trends shaping life in the Bay Area and beyond. I'm Keith Menconi. Today, we're speaking with USA Today Washington Bureau Chief Susan Page about her new book, Madam Speaker, Nancy Pelosi and the Lessons of Power. It's a biography of the speaker that outlines her very consequential career in politics. And uh, a little bit later, I do want to talk about more of those consequential moments in her career. But uh, since you raised it, let's go a little bit deeper into the life experience that shaped her. And uh, as you were suggesting right there, these sorts of experiences that uh, shaped Speaker Pelosi um, would be different from what I think perhaps a a traditional political watcher would be going uh, and looking for in writing this sort of biography. Uh, You know, the the great man histories would probably focus on time spent at war or, or, or times in, uh, you know, in college on, on the lacrosse team or something like that. But uh, as, as you suggest, there is a much uh, more diverse spectrum of experience that she's drawing on in finding her, uh, her particular brand of uh, politics. You know, Keith, I don't know if most people in San Francisco know that Nancy Pelosi was born into political royalty in Baltimore. Mm. Uh, when she was born in Baltimore, her 
father, who was known as Tommy the Elder D'Alessandro, was the member of Congress representing Baltimore. When she was seven years old, he was elected to the first of three terms as mayor of Baltimore. He was a bigger than life figure in Baltimore. He, the the D'Alessandros were as prominent in Baltimore as the Kennedys were in Boston. So she grew up in a household that was steeped in politics. She says, it was in my DNA. And you know, it wasn't only her father, her mother, who was known as Big Nancy D'Alessandro, uh, ran his political operation. She had something called the favor file, which is exactly what it sounds like. It, constituents would line up outside their house and come in and need a favor. They would need help in housing, or they would have a son who was in jail who needed help, or somebody in the family would have an immigration problem, and she would help them solve it. She would keep a record of it on in the favor file. And when she needed their help later on with another favor, or maybe on election day, she would go back and use the favor file in that way. It is politics 101. Right. And so politics was very much in the air as she was growing up. And uh, it seems, based on your account, that she really picked up on all of that by osmosis. You know, she's she is as comfortable with power as anyone I've ever met uh, in Washington. She is, and I think that reflects uh, that upbringing in Baltimore, uh, this, that, uh, that ability to negotiate the political system. Uh, it's, it's really remarkable. And, you know, it's especially remarkable uh, for a woman of her generation. When she was growing up, her mother, her father, her teachers, herself, they never thought of her as a potential elected official. It was not until she was 46 years old that she ran for an open congressional seat in San Francisco. She won that special election, and she's never lost an election since. And perhaps giving her some preparation for the challenges of political life, there were a number of challenges that her family faced uh, growing up, and she got to see the ways in which they pulled together in the face of those challenges. That's right. Uh, it was It's a contact sport, politics was, in Baltimore in those days. Uh, and her father... Uh, eventually lost his bid for a fourth term as mayor, an unprecedented fourth term. He wanted to be elected to statewide office. A gubernatorial candidate candidacy didn't uh, didn't work out. He lost a Senate race. So the, the family dealt with both uh, both uh, success and failure. Her her mother, her remarkable mother, Big Nancy, uh, loved to play the ponies. She was a regular at Pimlico. She became enmeshed in one scandal. Uh, in Baltimore that involved uh, uh, alleged payoffs with a city contract that forced her to testify in a trial. These were difficult things happening to her family. And I think that was one thing that developed her her pretty tough skin. You know, is anyone in American politics as vilified as Nancy Pelosi uh, by the other side, the source of thousands of Republican ads and attacks? She doesn't seem to worry about those. And I think that may also reflect her childhood. Speaking once again to USA Today, Washington Bureau Chief Susan Page, whose new book is Madam Speaker, Nancy Pelosi and the Lessons of Power. Let's talk a little bit about how she applied those lessons of power once she got into Congress and uh, worked her way up the leadership track. Uh, she had to win over uh, a lot of people that were steeped in sort of more traditional ways of speaking and were not necessarily eager to see a, a woman progress through that track. So how did she work that? You know, the, I ended up titling this book The Lessons of Power because, 
you really see Nancy Pelosi learning lessons of power and then applying them. And the number one lesson that her father taught her was no one is going to give you power. You have to take it. Mm. Uh, that was the case with him. He first got into politics by challenging a six-term Democratic incumbent in Congress and beating him in the primary. And when Nancy Pelosi decided she wanted to be in the leadership uh, of, of, for Democrats in the House, she was not welcome. There was no woman who had ever served in a senior leadership position for either party in either the House or the Senate. There was a man who was waiting to be Democratic whips, Jenny Hoyer, now that still the congressman from Maryland and the, and the House Majority Leader. She launched what was essentially an insurgent campaign to win that. And you know who that reminds me a little of these hmm. days? AOC. Somewhat ironically, you know, she yes. And yes, she and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, the young congresswoman from New York, have famously had some battles. But she told me when she looks at AOC, she does see a little of herself. Yeah. Since you brought that up, I mean, that was a very striking, uh, I suppose, full circle loop that you see happen in the book uh, where uh, at one point uh, Nancy Pelosi is the impatient newcomer to Congress that is really uh, pushing for her brand and pushing for her political priorities and uh, running into a lot of people that say, you know, that's not how uh, somebody new to Congress should be acting. And uh, here we are a couple of decades later with her in the, the speaker's role. And there is a new uh, impatient class of uh, young Congress people and uh, they're butting heads with Nancy Pelosi. Uh, but uh, as, as you said, she has some perspective on that. Yeah, she does. She, she uh, and she, you know, she, she doesn't, uh, I don't, I do not think she minds people who are disruptive or who have feel hold positions with some passion and want to push them. Uh, but what she admires most, I think, are politicians who are what she calls operational. Mm. If Nancy Pelosi tells you you're operational, that is the highest praise she gives because it means you're not only you not only hold strong views, you will do what's needed to get something done about them. And in one one of the interviews I did with her, which came happened to come on a day when there had been a big blow up with AOC and the squad, she said that there was a difference between making beautiful pate and making sausage, and that most of the time they were making sausage. And then she said, some people come to Washington to take holy pictures and show how pure they are and other people come to actually get something done. And she is very much in the category of someone who wants to get something done. Right. And that was probably one of the most unguarded moments that uh, you got out of uh, Speaker Pelosi. And uh, it speaks to really the frustration that she was experiencing at that moment in uh, confronting the squad. Yeah. They, you know, there was a, a, re a veteran congressional reporter named John Bresnahan about a decade ago, described Pelosi as an iron fist in a Gucci glove. And I think in public, we more often see the Gucci glove, uh, the praising fellow politicians for what they've done, the, the allegiance to committee chairman. But every once in a while, you can see the iron fist. And if you're a congressional leader, you probably need to have both of them. Yeah. And you've actually uh, mentioned in interviews before that you got uh, a little bit of a firsthand glimpse at that iron fist uh, during <laughs> one of the questions that you uh, pressed uh, with Nancy Pelosi and an argument over whether or not it should be uh, included in the book. So he, this was actually a terrifying event for me. <laughs> I was doing it was in the ninth interview that I had done with her. And I was asking questions uh, about something that she thought didn't sh shouldn't be in the book. And I said, I thought it should be in the book. And um she, you know, she didn't, 
she didn't raise her voice and she didn't issue any kind of threat. Uh, she did seem to be getting bigger the longer we talked. I thought, you know, hmm. she's five foot five. By the end of this conversation, I felt like she was about six foot two. <laughs> um, she just asked me, asked me more and more direct questions that forced me to articulate and defend what my view was on this. And at the end of the conversation, she didn't relent. Uh, she didn't think it should be in the book. I didn't relent. I thought it should, and I did put it in the book. But when I came out, I was really... Uh, well, let me just tell you what I did. It was three o'clock in the afternoon. I drove home. I poured a glass of wine. I crawled into bed and I watched reruns of Rizzoli and Isles for about three hours until <laughs> I felt better. Now, this gave me just a little glimpse into what yeah. it must be like to be a member of Congress who Nancy Pelosi is lobbying. And we are speaking right now to USA Today, Washington Bureau Chief Susan Page. Once again, her new book is Madam Speaker, Nancy Pelosi and the Lessons of Power. And so if uh, she can make Washington Bureau Chief Susan Page uh, quiver in her boots for a couple of hours, uh, as you said, you can only imagine what uh, others have faced. Uh, Let's talk about somebody else who has faced the ire of uh, Speaker Pelosi. That would be former President Donald Trump. And out of all the consequential moments that you profile in your book, you suggest that perhaps uh, her time in her speakership and uh, a little bit uh, before her speakership began uh, in the most recent cycle, that that was perhaps the most uh, consequential impact that she has had so far uh, when uh, Trump was in office. You know, what I discovered in reporting uh, for the book was that she had actually been making plans to step down after the 2016 election. Uh, She thought, you know, she was then 76 years old. Um, She'd like to spend some time with her grandchildren. Maybe she'd write her memoirs. Then on election night, she made on election night, she was making the same assumption that many of us were making, that Hillary Clinton was going to be elected and would protect Democratic priorities like the Affordable Care Act. Then Election night comes and Nancy Pelosi realizes earlier than many of us that Donald Trump is going to win the White House. And she said it was like like being kicked by a mule. She said Mm. she said she wasn't speaking metaphorically, that she physically felt like she was being kicked by a mule. And by the end of that night, she decided not to step down. She decided she would stay in Washington and in power. And that that role that she ended up fulfilling as the face of the Democratic opposition to Donald Trump, I think that prompted many people to recognize the kind of authority that she had not always been credited with having in previous years. Yeah, she became a much more prominent and visible uh, critic of the president uh, and uh, all the actions that he was taking. And, uh, you know, there's the iconic image of her uh, ripping up the State of the Union speech. There's many other images of her standing up to President Trump uh, in various meetings. So this was a very uh, fraught relationship. But you uh, also suggest that there were times where President Trump had a grudging respect for her. Yes, I think he did. And in, in 2018, just before the midterm elections, I actually had an interview with Trump for USA Today. And I asked him if uh, he was concerned that Democrats might gain control of the House in the midterms, which indeed they did. And he said that he wasn't that concerned, that he thought there would be an eagerness to make deals, that it wouldn't be so bad for him for doing things like an infrastructure bill uh, if the Democrats gained control of the House. That was at odds with what Steve Bannon, one of his senior advisors, was telling him that this would be very serious for his future if Democrats gained control of the House. They did gain control of the House, and Steve Bannon turned out to be right 
because there were big consequences for Donald Trump, including two impeachment trials. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, uh, we have a little bit more to go uh, to go through. But uh, one last time, I want to reintroduce you. We are speaking right now to Susan Page, a veteran journalist whose new book is Madam Speaker, Nancy Pelosi and the Lessons of Power. This is KCBS In-Depth. I'm Keith Menconi. And I want to in, in, in the last uh, 10 minutes or so that we have left, I really do want to zoom the camera out a little bit and talk about the lasting legacy of uh, Speaker Pelosi, since uh, we are likely coming up towards the end of uh, her speakership and uh, discuss you know, some of the broad trends of American politics that she has shaped or that have uh, shaped her. And first, I want to talk about the question of polarization, because uh, while she has been somebody that was very adept at building relationships behind the scenes, there were some very high profile relationships uh, with President Trump included that became very fraught. And uh, she did not make, you know, any bones about her disdain for some of the actions that uh, these figures were taking, uh, President Trump, as uh, well as President uh, George W. Bush. So uh, curious for your thoughts on what her speakership meant for the broader dynamic of polarization in American politics. You know, Nancy Pelosi wasn't responsible for the polarization in American politics, but she did negotiate it skillfully. And there are critics who say she should have done more to try to ameliorate the partisanship uh, that we see in Washington today. John Boehner, uh, the former Republican Speaker of the House, told me that there were times when he tried to soften his rhetoric toward her, but that she, he never felt that she reciprocated by softening mm. her rhetoric toward him. And uh, a top aide to George W. Bush told me something similar. You remember in 2007 when President George W. Bush went up to deliver the State of the Union address and there for the first time in American history, he said the words Madam Speaker yeah. and made a very gracious acknowledgement of the historic role uh, that she was playing. That he never, that that was an effort on his part to reach out, his top aide told me. And it was one for which he took some criticism among Republicans and that he never felt that that was reciprocated. So again, not fair to blame Nancy Pelosi for the state of our politics, but it is, it is true that she has been a fierce partisan and not moved to try to ameliorate it. In what of her role in another, I suppose, growing trend in American politics, that of uh, big money and, and, and just the growing importance of money in every aspect of politics, she is known as uh, a a prolific fundraiser, raising hundreds of millions of dollars for the Democratic Party and various candidates over the course of her career. And, you know, there's one level on which that is how the game of American politics is played. And uh, being effective at that is certainly speaks to her political acumen. But on the other side of that, there is a certain uneasiness that many of us feel with the role that money, big money plays in uh, American politics. Uh, how did she navigate that herself? So, no, we have never seen a fundraiser as successful as Nancy Pelosi. A couple weeks ago, she surpassed a, a, a milestone that no leader of Congress has ever reached. She has raised a billion dollars wow. as a leader of Congress for Democratic candidates. A billion dollars. Uh, that has been one source of her strength. Her ability to raise money has been part of her appeal, one of the reasons she's done so well uh, in getting into the Democratic leadership. On the other hand, it has reinforced the power of money and specifically of big donors uh, in our politics. So there are critics of that as well. 
What do you think that her role in terms of redefining gender in politics will be going forward? Obviously, now we have uh, a vice president who is also a woman. So we are already seeing uh, uh, future politicians building on uh, the success of uh, that, that her career sort of registered in American politics. So what do you think that she will mean for those future female leaders? I think it makes a big difference to have women in positions of power so that women who are just getting into politics can have the biggest possible ambitions. And especially so girls who are in the second grade or the fifth grade or their juniors in high school can think about this as an option for them. There's somebody who looks like them, uh, who is in a position head of one of our branches of government, second line of succession uh, to the presidency and totally comfortable with power. There was no one in that who would, would fill that role when Nancy Pelosi was in grade school or when Nancy Pelosi was a young woman getting involved in politics. I do think it makes a difference. And perhaps also showing that uh, experiences more associated traditionally uh, with uh, women's role in the household also can be a, a source of strength. Do you think that that may be important as well? Yes. And that's an argument she's made when she's recruiting women to try to encourage them to run for office. You know, some women would some one of the responses that some women would give was, uh, gee, I'm not a lawyer. I'm just a housewife. And Pelosi has over and over again made the point that she believes the best training she got was in the home. Yeah. And in the couple of minutes that we have left, let's uh, talk about what is coming down the pike in the years ahead. Uh, lots of speculation at the moment as to whether or not she's going to be running for an, another term. What is your sense of uh, the political ambitions for the speaker going forward? So Nancy Pelosi in 2018 made a, offered a commitment to only serve two more terms as speaker. Uh, she did face a reasonably serious challenge then. That was something she said she would do. It wasn't written into the rules. It's not a law. But earlier this year, she said that she recognized she had made that uh, that offer and that indi she indicated without making the kind of direct Sherman-esque statement that makes things easy for journalists, indicated that she was likely to abide by it. So I do think this is her last term in Congress. And I'll be very curious after all these years Hmm. Who runs in San Francisco for that congressional seat and who wins? And who do you see as likely to pick up the mantle of uh, Speaker? Are there uh, folks that she's backing at this point? I'm sure she hasn't endorsed anyone. I'm sure it will be contested. I think we'll see people from the most progressive wing of the Democratic Party, people from the more centrist part of the party. Uh, one of the names that we do expect to be uh, a possibility is Hakeem Jeffries, congressman from New York. He would be another groundbreaker. He would be the first person of color to lead uh, a party in either house of Congress. Karen Bass from California is another name that's been mentioned. Adam Schiff is someone who's been seen as a potential leader uh, so we'll so we'll see. One thing that Pelosi knows from her own experience in running for the leadership, it's not going to be up to her or the other leaders. It'll be up to these what 225 Democratic members of the House. And by the way, it's a secret ballot. 
which makes it even harder to predict. Yeah, yeah. All right. So a lot to look for right there. In in, in closing, since she does have uh, a year plus left in power, at least, I mean, uh, assuming that uh, you you are correct and that she uh, will be stepping down, what do you think that she wants to accomplish uh, in the remaining time of her speakership? Uh, What's her relationship like with President Biden and what does she see getting done there? You know, I think there is no president uh, she's worked with with whom she is closer than Joe Biden. Mm. And I interviewed her a couple of weeks ago uh, for USA Today. She said that both Biden had been in Congress for so long that they could talk into kind of shorthand. Uh, She called him a transformational president. And I think she's been pleased by kind of the bigness, the boldness of these measures that he's put forward uh, in the first months of his presidency. All right. Well, uh, heady times ahead. Uh, We have been speaking today to USA Today Washington Bureau Chief Susan Page. Her new book, One Last Time, is Madam Speaker, Nancy Pelosi, and The Lessons of Power. Susan Page, thanks so much for being on KCBS In-Depth. Hey, Keith, it's my pleasure. Thank you. And thank you all for listening. For KCBS and In-Depth, I'm Keith Manconi. Stay safe, be well. We'll see you next week. You've been listening to KCBS In-Depth. Get every episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other podcast platforms. Visit kcbsradio.com for more news and interviews. We are the Bay Area's news station, KCBS.